This week's guest reminds us that things change when a network of people work together on a common cause. If there was one thing you could change about the risk and resilience industry that would fundamentally improve the way we deliver resilience, what would it be? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 119 of the Resilient Journey podcast, presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this is part one of a special two-part series that is based on the book, Be More Pirate, or How to Take on the World and Win. And I'm joined by right-hand pirate, Alex Barker. Alex explains the difference between being a rebel and a pirate, and tells us why golden age pirates are perfect role models for those of us who want to improve our industry. And we talk about what we can learn from pirates about breaking and rewriting rules. Part one of Being a Resilience Pirate starts right now. Alex, welcome to the podcast. I told you off air before we started, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm so excited to talk about this topic. Let's start off just with you introducing yourself, please, and your role with Be More Pirate. Sure. Um, so I'm Alex Barker, and I started working on Be More Pirate back in 20, uh, early 2019, um, about a year, well, eight months after the book was published. And I joined Sam, um, who's the author of the book, um, as a right-hand pirate. That was my original role. That was the role that he put onto LinkedIn um, as a job advert, ser- serious job advert. And yep. I think there was only a couple of lines on the job advert. It was like, I need someone to help me um, turn my book, Be More Pirate, into something bigger, uh, which bigger, he didn't know, I didn't know what that meant, and stop me from disappearing up my own ass. Um, that was his genuine sort of uh, request um, as he was starting to venture onto big stages, talking about the book. He really wanted somebody to keep him grounded and to remind him of what the book, why the book was written and who it was written for and what the key um, grounding like ideas and principles are. So I was at a kind of hiatus in my life and it came at exactly the right time. So I came on board and since then it's my role has completely evolved. Um, about six months in, we were so inundated with work and interest in the book that I ended up started, starting to do talks about the book myself. And my, But my goal originally was to build a network and build a community out of it. There were so many amazing people like yourself who came forward and said, this book is exactly what I need. This yeah. is actually making me take action um, for the first time in a long time. And that was really exciting to put Sam and I, like we really wanted to build it into something that was meaningful for people. Um, what it looked like, we didn't know. And that is still evolving because obviously we had the pandemic in the middle of it, which was a, de- a delightful interlude <laughs> in all, all of our plans. Um, and yeah, and I, I, I saw, Sam sort of handed the reins over to me. He said, you know, you can be the, the captain of this ship basically. Hmm. Uh, or at least he felt that he also wanted a woman to help steer this idea uh, that was important to him. So I largely do the running of Be More Pirate and Sam is still very much involved and uh, working like me, working with different teams and organizations. One of the things we're going to talk about much later on here is the pirate code. And one of the good principles of a good pirate code is diversity. And I like the idea of uh, Sam's vision to bring you in to to run that. I'm also stricken by something that you said there, which I find really interesting. And that's, it, it, he wanted it to be bigger, but he didn't know what that meant. And so often I think we get tied into having to know what that end goal is before we start, where oftentimes it's much more productive and certainly a lot more fun 
to just kind of run with it and see where it takes you. I, I really, really like that. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure we'll have lots of com- uh, chat later on about the the value of being in uncertainty and not getting too attached to outcomes and the journey being the destination and all of that. That being said, <laughs> um, although Sam didn't know what it meant, he did write a job description initially that gave some sense of what he want- He thought he wanted to achieve. And the reason he picked me as right-hand pirate was because I challenged him on all of it because I said, you know, we can't do growth for growth's sake. That's exactly the message that you've written in the book. Right. And so why do you think you want to build a global newsletter? Like, why? Like, tell me the why, why the numbers matter, and then I will... I'll work to that. But for what, from what, you know, this is really speaks to all my previous experience building communities and building networks. Depth was more important to me. I wanted to know the people like yourself, like who I now call like pirate captains who really understand and connect with this message and the ripple effect of them going off to do change in their own communities and their own networks was much bigger to me than trying to like do the mass broadcast to everybody. And that's where I'd seen other people go wrong with that. So I just said to Sam, like, let's be sure we know, why we're trying to achieve, you know, big numbers or what, why is this KPI you're setting? And, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's a good conversation, a good challenge. And immediately we gelled because of that. Had you read the book before your interview? Oh God. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, I, I say this in everything. I wasn't actually that taken with it, which surprises people. And it was just partly because I had been working at a place where I had seen a lot of authors um, do talks about their books and with lots of big ideas. And I wasn't a hundred percent sure that they were really invested in real change and they were willing to, you know, get off the podium and really speak to the people who were responding to them. And I, and I think, yeah, I had a bit of disillusionment at the time and I thought maybe it's just a really good marketing strategy, the, the pirate idea. Um, and it was only when I started to talk to all the people who had read it and were doing things off the back of it that I became so convinced by the idea. And I, my job was to really investigate like what it was in this idea that grabbed people so much. Um, and, you know, over time, I just became a through and through pirate. <laughs> so I love yeah. that. Well, we should probably at this point bring maybe the rest of the audience up to speed when we keep talking yeah. about the book. The book is Be More Pirate or how to take on the world and win. Uh, talk about the premise of the book. What's it about? What's its goal? Yeah, so the book is really, in a nutshell, about how to break and rewrite the rules. Whatever the rules mean for you, like it could be the rules within your your life, uh, your personal life, it could be the rules of <clears throat> your organization, um, or it could be society at large. Um, so... It, that's the kind of the philosophy behind it. But the um, the premise is really that Sam, um, Sam takes this from the golden age of piracy. So the book is largely the secret and untold history of the golden age pirates, which when we think of pirates, we think of Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Hook, Peter Pan, that sort of stuff, all the kind of stereotypes from, from fiction. Um, but actually there's an incredible um, historical truth behind it. And we like to suggest that the pirates of the golden age were actually the social revolutionaries of the 1600s. Um, they actually were more in the role of sort of freedom fighters because when you really dig into the history, um, there's a few key historians that look at this, um, the pirates were incredibly progressive for their for their time. You know, they were this 
largely uh, disillusioned sailors in the Navy who'd um, been subject to some really brutal, tyrannical captains, um, no pay necessarily at the end of voyages. They would um, endure really brutal conditions on board the ships. And they were kind of this yeah, frustrated group of young professionals who saw um, this self-serving establishment, this self-serving elite going around plundering and exploiting the world of resources. And, you know, it's the time of the British Empire. And um, they, uh, or just before the British Empire, I should say, they they kind of decided that um, the system didn't work for them. The rules were rigged and they mm-hmm. needed to go off and kind of write their own rules. And, you know, it took a huge amount of courage at that time, but really existing outside of the law for these young pirates worked in their favour. It was actually better. And what they did is they created a set of rules, ways of living and working together that was um, inherently um, much better than what the establishment could provide. So on board a pirate ship, you had things like um, democ- like real democracy. Every person got a vote um, on all the decisions that got made on board a ship. You had um, one of the early forms of social insurance. So you got compensation for injury. They had equal and transparent pay systems. Um, they were diverse crews. You know, So you got female pirates, you got black pirate captains. And they even had say, uh, same-sex marriage um, ceremonies. So there was this, this whole set of like new ideas that came into being through these pirates rebelling against the status quo at that time. And none of that gets told. Like all we remember is the violence. But the whole world was violent at that time. It's really important to put it into historical context. Uh, actually, pirates were pirates were kind of arguably less violent because they had no incentive to undertake battles unless they absolutely had to. They used their kind of storytelling abilities, which we'll come to later, to to kind of um, protect themselves and to um, uh, um, strategically um, fight less. And I'll yeah, I'll come back to that point because it's an interesting one. But yeah, so pirate the story of the pirates is is much more inspiring and much more about a fight for freedom than anything else. I'm going to go from time to time throughout this podcast and kind of pull this back into my industry, into the resilience industry and into the Resilience Think Tank and the work that we're doing. But it's a small group of frustrated and underappreciated, mostly young professionals. They finally had enough of living in a society that was run badly by a self-interested and self-serving establishment. And in the resilience industry, there is an establishment that is in some ways run badly, in some ways self-serving, in some ways self-interested, and... It is time, as the book says, a little bit to stick a middle finger up to that establishment and say, no, we're not doing that anymore. So let me sort of jump off of that then and and get into some of the things of what it takes to make a pirate. Mm. Now, according to the book, the first step is to pick a rule to break. And the book says we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Why is rule breaking important? And what are we after here? Mm, yes. What does it take to make a pirate? I think, as you've quoted from the book, I'm going to quote from the book as well, because the line that was always repeated back to me the most um, is in that first chapter is, is no one is coming to save you. I think that's mm. actually the first pre pre, you know, breaking a rule. And I should also add at this point that Sam and I wrote a follow up book to this with some of the stories of people who'd taken um, the original book and and used it for, you know, in their uh, own lives in their workplaces. And so what I've, I draw on a little bit more is like what I've seen in practice. And I think that was something that was really important is that before what I say is like, before you go out and break a rule in the outer world, you almost have to stand up to yourself 
there's usually a kind of mental process that goes on where you realize, and sometimes it's thrust upon you um, without, I mean, this probably speaks to your resilience work, like it's thrust upon you without your choice. So like the pandemic, suddenly we're all in a no one is coming to save you moment because you realize the leaders have absolutely no idea what they're doing or they certainly didn't in the UK. And you've got to bet on yourself. You really have to. And and then you have to look to all your internal resources. Um, It's not about like, you know, who's going to give me a job or, or who's going to help me out? It's like, what have I got? What strength have I got? What um, knowledge and skills have I got? Have I amassed? What am, what's my personal motivation? Because your motivation can take you very, very far. Um, so I think that was the first thing that I noticed about people, you know, using the book. And I, but having said that, Sam's first step of go and break a stupid rule is a can be a mechanism to get you into that kind of more pirate mindset because you know, courage isn't something that you can do without actually actively practicing it. Courage has to be, you have to put yourself in the position of, of doing something that is, um, well, these days we say, rather than suggest everyone go and break a, a stupid rule, or that that's one option, we usually refer to small, bold actions. So a small, bold action is something that you can do in the next week or couple of weeks that's logistically easy to achieve, that puts you in this sweet spot of like, a scary, excited feeling. So it's not so scary that it gives you anxiety because we don't want to tip anyone over the edge, but it's it, it's something that you think, I know I should be doing this. I know I should be pushing myself a little bit more in this area. And I'm just a bit intimidated, but you kind of, you know, it, it, and this is a, a huge spectrum, by the way. So risk is very subjective. Mm-hmm. Different, different people, you know uh, what you can tolerate. Um, so I don't say there's one thing that you should everyone should do you have to assess what would work but finding something that you can take a small bold step on if it's repeatable even better if it's something that other people could follow and that's the idea of you know the uh, the rewriting of the rules so can you set a precedent that other people could then try and follow um so yeah that's that's often our stepping off point for people um once they've maybe had a no one is coming to save you moment and they know that being pirate is the way forward it's like, okay, so what is the first action step you're going to take? Like do a little matrix for yourself of, of you know, of our, our, our criteria and then they're on their way. What you said there reminded me of, um, there's an author back from the uh, 80s, uh, a guy called Tom Peters. And he asked a question. He said, if there was one thing that you could do differently that would fundamentally change the way you do business, what would it be? And that's what you're talking about. Bold moves, breaking rules that, can make a difference, mm-hmm. but it's not just about breaking rules, right? You have to rewrite the rules. Talk about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So actually this is super important for, from a psychological standpoint. So I often find um, people come to me going, God, yeah, we've got to break the rules. Like this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And that's all fine. And, you know, it's a really, it can really give you a, a momentum to begin with, to identify what it is that you want to change and the rules you want to break, but you cannot stay in that place because um, fear um, causes paralysis. paralysis. And if you're thinking and talking to other people about what's wrong, you, 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 you get stuck in that space. And we always say like flip your frustration into fuel. So as on, on a really basic level, stop talking about what, you know, how it, what's wrong, what shouldn't be, and describe what the alternative would be. What would good look and feel like here? What mm. what, what do you put in its place? And even when I'm, when I'm doing this in teams, we, I'd say, you know, like if you're going to go into an important meeting and you're going and you want to make a change and you know, the, the old rules don't work, be able to describe like 
with emotion, like what a good alternative would be. And of course, people are afraid of change. So you've got to anticipate that, but you're getting them into a better emotional space. And, and also then I say like, you know, <laughs> caveat your, your new rule, your alternative with, um, say, call it an experiment, call it a pilot. And then that gives them a kind of time frame around it so that they don't feel quite so afraid because you, oh, you can always go back to the way it was if you, if it doesn't work. And then people feel a bit less afraid to, um, to, to let you take it forward. Although once it's happening, you, you know, the momentum drives it again. Um, but the idea is, yeah, to set, set precedent. Like that's what the pirate, that's what distinguishes a pirate from a, a mere rebel, in my opinion, because the pirate rebellion is a creative one. Like the new rules that they created were so much more significant than anything that they rejected. Um, and you've got to remember that like a rebel maybe just kind of like causes chaos and breaks the rules for the sake of it. Cause whatever reason they don't like authority. Whereas a pirate is always about what could we do better here? And, and how do we bring other people along with us? Because a pirate always exists in a crew structure as well. I think that's another part that gets missed of the pirate story. The pirates did never, never operated alone. They were always in a crew. I, and I like that. I'm going to tie that back again to the Resilience Think Tank, because one of the things that I, people listening to this can't see my book, but it's full of notes and tabs and all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's ridiculous. But one of the things that really jumped out at me is um, that we, we, we talk about things change when networks of relationships form among people who share a common cause or a vision of what's possible. It's not enough to just sit and grumble and complain about rules that you think are stupid. Maybe they are stupid, but having that alternative approach and then being willing to take the action is really what it's about. And and yeah. and then collaborating, working with people. Completely. Is that what leads us to the next step then in in making a pirate the reorganization of oneself i mean explain what you mean by that so reorganize um as the third pirate principle is about achieving scale without growth so you know growth being growth from a center point so in the book sam quotes frederick lalu um sort of thinker in organizational sort of philosophy and he says you know growth for growth's sake is cancer ultimately and we're mm. so obsessed with always um, having year-on-year -year growth in companies and are, you know, most countries still measure their success by GDP. And that's not getting us anymore into, um, it's not creating um, lasting happiness in society. It's not creating um, economic security anymore. So th that mindset has to um, crumble. And so Sam's like, well, you know, what's, what's the alternative here? And so we talk a lot about um, using collaboration as a way to achieve scale and like essentially alternative models for working together. And it's based on the original pirates who really did operate in a collaborative economy. They didn't try to centralize anything. There was no kind of overall pirate king or leader. They in, they kept the individual crews, partly the limitation of ships is that you can only have about between 80 and 200 people on at any one time anyway. So all the individual pirate captains, even though they were you know, accountable and could be voted out by the crew, they were the leader of their own crews. And then when there was a big battle to fight, they would collaborate and work together. And then they would just scale back down. You know, they retained the autonomy of the individual crews. And, you know, that's what a, a sort of networked dynamic economy could look like, where you've got all these entities that essentially work towards a similar goal and aren't so, you know, competitive with each other all the time. And there are, you know, there are pockets of examples of where, of how and when that can happen. There's quite a few people from our community who've tried to operate on slightly diff different business models um and i think that's that's an ongoing thing i think that's something that's going to come to the fore more and more as um society starts to shift away from like you know uh 
growth models and GDP and recognizing that it it's not serving us in the way that it used to. I, I want to try to see if we can tie this down a little bit or maybe provide some practical examples for an individual who might be listening to this and say, yeah, okay, that feels pretty good to me. I, I like the way that sounds. I can break some rules. I can come up with some alternatives. But the reorganization part feels limiting because they still work for that same organization or they still have that same day-to-day -day job. How mm. can an individual fight against that structure, that establishment, and still reorganize themselves? Well, I think the principle of reorganize can be taken in lots of different ways. So what I've seen and who what I've worked with is what I call cross-sector crews. So lots of people who reckon, kind of see themselves as pirates and that know that their industry needs to change. And so we we, we work on a kind of cross-sector network. I mean, this is, but it's different to what you'd get as a sort of traditional association, which is again, following an establishment's um, uh, model. It's more of a, a loose network of um, individuals who, you know, we often work on creating a pirate code between them. Like, what is it what what new ideas do they want to stand for? What are they going to, um, you know, look to implement in their industry, recognizing that they get strength in numbers? So we have it in our in the UK. We have one across our national health service because there's a lot of change needed there. I've seen it in sort of HR as a sector. Seen it in um, like sort of in, you know information technology functions as well, like a bit more niche. Um, so mm -hmm. I think there's there's that. But I've also seen like for example, individuals take. Um, look look at different models of um, kind of people who who work as like freelancers or um, uh, small business owners. How can, how they can work together in a more recommendation sort of networked way. So they do a you know ultimately things like Airbnb and Uber, although they've now again tried to centralize power in the same way as we usually see. Originally, the idea of this kind of community based peer peer review system yeah. was what. Is what is what Sam means and what the book kind of means. Um, of course, it can go wrong because power is a very powerful, it's a powerful concept, and like it's hard to, I think. And this is what, something I notice as well when I'm um, working with teams that want to implement um, things like holacracy and sociocracy, which are I won't, yeah, they're models to create flatter structures in organisations. Okay. This doesn't always work, and it's fascinating to see how people think that if you just impose a flat structure. It, the job is done sometimes and the job is 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 the, the job is understanding the the actual the power dynamics in a team always how are people relating to each other and often when you strip away all hierarchy you get natural hierarchies emerging so the people who are naturally more dominant will come to the fore because there's no without a code to know how to operate together you get a bit lost at sea so and this is something, yeah, a mistake I saw kind of early days with Be More Pirate, with teams going right, we're gonna we're gonna have no new self management and, and nothing else, and and, and especially with these cross sector crews where you suddenly have a group of individuals coming in with no leader and trying to, you know, it takes time to go. Well, how do we operate together? And that's where the idea of the code that we'll no doubt discuss uh, comes in, um, because you have to find another you have to find another organizing principle for each for the group. I like the idea of a cross-sector crews working with people outside your organization. Uh, that's what we're promoting all the time. We always uh, try to refer to it as horizontal learning. So so often the establishment does this sort of top-down learning. They teach you what they want to teach you. And often the average person in the industry is kind of left out, uh, where our approach is more of a horizontal learning where 
I'm learning from Jason or Michelle or from Trina. Uh, and it's not top down. It's, it's cross, it's peer learning. And, and I really like that. Um, I'll offer just one quick example that's um, just to make it more tangible, perhaps, um, because you asked whether, you know, how do you do this when you're in a big organization? I think that is what is is super challenging for people. Um, there's this example in the second book that we wrote um, using um, a, a new strategy that a team in Mercedes-Benz in the UK um, put into practice as a result of doing a pirate workshop and working on the book for a while um, they essentially designed an entirely new marketing strategy. Um, it was the marketing team that was set based on this idea of critical connections over critical mass. And the way that Mercedes-Benz had been doing advertising and marketing for a long time was like broadcast media. It was like one to many. Um, that was traditionally how they made sales. And the, the leader in this team decided to go pirate and was like, let's make this about relationships. Let's make this about connection. And so she went on the road and, and did a road trip with her team, like meeting, and they decided to focus on small businesses and entrepreneurs, which is a, a niche market for Mercedes. And she's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet these people. I'm going to learn what their needs are. And we're going to see if we can create real relationships where we can really service them um, with the vehicles. And, you know, that over a long period of time, got approval. They went, they went for it and they were like, okay, we we know this isn't going to pay off short term, but it'll pay off long term. And the, the critical part of the story is that it paid off much quicker because of the pandemic, because suddenly businesses mm. had to shut down unless they could be mobile, uh, mobile and Mercedes had, you know, uh, have <laughs> do mobility. So they were able to provide, you know, a new scheme to help these people, that they, these new customers. And so it was like for them, it really paid off to be forward thinking and to and to try something that was for everyone else in the company felt risky at the time. But they were like, this is pirate. We think this is a long term investment and it will and it will work. And it was yeah, a switch in a more networked way of thinking. You mentioned a minute ago in your answer uh, the importance of power. And the next R that we want to talk about is the redistribution of power. And you said to me, that's your favorite part. What is it and why is it your favorite uh, R in this first section? Um, I think that it's my favorite R because I think it's the thing that people least expect to associate with pirates is redistribution of power that, you know, I think people think of pirates as tyrants, um, you know, in the same camp as sort of the mafia. And they never they didn't rule by fear. They ruled by accountability. And it's really important that people know that, that pirate captains were voted in and out by their crew, that if, if the pirate captain went off course, um, the crew had a say in what was happening. And so you weren't powerless and unheard like you were within the establishment system. And that's what I aim to bring to all of the work that we do with Be More Pirate. And I think the second reason it's important to me is that power, or what I've learned about power through this work is, again, we, we tend to think of power and think of traditional power. So money, status, and 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 authority, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, so job titles, uh, wealth, but actually, you know, ultimately real power comes from within you. We, real power empowerment is um, how much you believe in yourself um, and what you can achieve. And they're just, and the most fantastic examples of pirates and some that Sam puts in the book about like people like Malala, like believed that they could do it when everything is stacked against them. Like they don't have any of the traditional aspects of power, no money or status like let you know far less status in their society and i think that it's just really worth remembering and keeping in the back of your mind that these people exist and have and have been able to make change so um 
I think that power is it's just such a fascinating concept. It shifts around. It's so much based on our perception. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I that's what I take from pirates and and what they did. Are, are we are we talking about moving the power from the establishment to oneself to empowering ourselves and and building our own confidence? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't I don't think that um, the two are separate. I, I think enable to be able to bring power to um, or redistribute power in society, first you have to find it in yourself. I don't think you can achieve very much without having that inner sense of your own power. And of course it doesn't, it's not there all the time, you know, day to day, Um, but being able to understand it for yourself and understand where it sits with you, um, what makes you feel powerful, what what takes away your power. I just think it's, I think that's the the first step. Um, And I've, I've noticed over the years, of course, when people have tried to, create much bigger change within an organization without having taken that first step um, for themselves and, and for the people they're working around. And I also noticed when I've, I've, been, I've talked to um, one example that stays in my mind is um, a CEO I met at a conference years ago. He'd spent a few years out in Silicon Valley, you know, I'm trying to understand how they uh, create success over there and taking it back to his home country in, in Eastern Europe. And he'd come back to his team and tried to implement all of this American sort of thinking around move fast and break things and be experimental and fail fast. And it's okay to fail. And he's like, my team just don't get it. They, they can't do it. I, I think they don't have the same drive as me. And, and I thought about it. And I think the reality is, is that those people were con- conditioned that, you know, failing in front of your of someone who's a figure of authority within a particular system would put the fear of God in you. Sure. And it's you know, you can't you can't just simply come in and, and put you know implement a whole new way of thinking and mindset onto people. It's it, you know people are conditioned over time. So we talked about ways in which he could, rather than give up on the idea, like seek to empower them. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for part one of being a resilience pirate. And I want to thank Alex Barker for being my guest this week. The Resilient Journey podcast is a resilience think tank production. Next week we'll wrap up our discussion about what it takes to be a pirate and start to talk about the pirate code, a set of rules that we can put together that will help us take on the world and win, including what it means to have a call to action in order to change our industry. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.